but the Lord said to do it, so I'd rather just flow with revelation. So I'm on page, um, let's see, 123, inner healing and deliverance. Section is on low self-esteem. How many of y'all struggle with low self-esteem? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody struggles with it. Everybody struggles with it. So I'm going to start off with Psalms 103. It says, Know that the Lord, He is God. And it is He who has made us and not we ourselves, so we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. How many of y'all feel like you're, that you feel like the Lord is shepherding you every day? You feel like the Lord's shepherding you every day, leading you every day? Hey, because, you know, this next quarter, well, throughout the whole year, we are in transition, a new transition, and we call it the death, the burial, and the rest, and the resurrection. That's really the theme line of our teaching throughout the whole year, because God said that he would build revelation upon revelation once we did that. So I'm excited about fresh revelation about death and dying. Because, you know, we, fresh revelation will help you do it easier. Because it has the power to help you do it. Wouldn't it be great to die without struggle? It is possible. Because the revelation has the resurrection on it. So as soon as you receive it, God's resurrecting something from the dead. But if we don't apply the revelation, then you're kind of on your own on your death process. Mercy kind of steps in and helps you. But the revelation actually does it for you. As soon as you get a revelation, something God has said to you, and we always say that's an illumination of the Scripture, or God speaking to you through a prophecy or word of knowledge, immediately take it. Start meditating on it. And it's going to kill the very thing that God wants dead in us. But when we don't meditate on it, we give the enemy access. Because he's right there when the revelation shows up. We give the enemy access. And now, through what we call delayed disobedience, mercy steps in for us. And Jesus helps us through it with the Holy Spirit. But I want our kingdom-minded people to not be dependent on mercy. I want you to be, be totally dependent on grace, not mercy. Because mercy is for people who's in the in-between zone that don't know what to do. You guys know what to do. When that trial hits, you know what to do to transition you from that place. And all we have to do is give temptation a little food. And we just missed it. It canceled out grace. 
And then mercy has to step in and help us get through the dying process. Again, dying does not have to be hard. Jesus took it on the cross. He said we have to crucify the flesh. That means nail it down. But Jesus has to bury that flesh. And that's what grace does. It buries it. And revelation resurrects it. So I want this year to be easy for everybody in this process. Because last year was kind of hard for some of us to go through the death, the burial, the rest, and the resurrection. But God blessed at the end of the season, like he said he would. He would receive different measures of blessing according to the obedience response. That's how your blessing is measured, according to your obedience response. Because without a quick obedience, without a quick obeying, we give room for the flesh. And that's where disobedience is. So we delay what God is trying to do. And we also measure what God is trying to do. When he gives it without measure. But when we choose the flesh. We measure the blessing. That's coming to us. And I've never said this before. This is Lord talking here. Because this is revelation. So when you know what to do. Do it quickly. Do it. We always say do it afraid. Don't worry about hurting people's feelings. Because if you obey God, he's going to cover them. I've watched it over and over again in my life. When I finally stopped worrying about how people feel because of my low self-esteem, I finally started getting right with God. And knowing that if I obey him quickly, he covers the person that won't be, she won't, she, he or she won't be hurt in a decision that I've made. And I'm quick to make decisions. And sometimes I'll do it forcefully. But the kingdom is about acceleration. Movement, movement, movement. We have to put time on everything. Because God enters time. And if we put a time on something, I was going over this with Lee. If we put a, a deadline on something, that's where destiny is. So if you don't put a deadline on something, then you'll never find your destiny or it will be delayed. So God expects us to put a time on everything. I'm going to put a time on to get this finished. I'm going to put a time on this relationship that I'm trying to get out of. I'm going to put it on this date. I'm done with this relationship. Because that's where destiny is going to be. But low self-esteem will get in the way all the time. It robs God's plan for your life. So I'm on page 125. One of the greatest problems in today's society is lack of identity. Lack of identity. When do you find your identity crisis? When the person that you have become 
is removed out of your life. There's an identity crisis. Because your identity is in Christ, but you never developed it. You never developed it. Your identity already is in Christ, but you never developed it. So because I didn't worship, I didn't pray, I didn't meditate on the Word, I didn't read the Word, my identity has to be found. And it's going to be found in either man or God. One or the other. You'll never find your identity in yourself. It's going to be in someone else or the one that created you. And it has to be developed. You know how you get in a relationship with a man or a woman and you work that relationship, you work that relationship, and you become just like that person. That's why marriage says the two become one. You know, sometimes I can see Brenda and Tom. And Tom and Brenda. These two are like this. And that's what marriages should be like. So identity crisis is when God is removing something out of your life. And that's usually your trial to bring something into your life. And man, we just don't want to let go of that old thing. Because the man that we're holding on to, or the, or the woman that we're holding on to, is perishing already. Because it's in the flesh. He said the flesh is what? Perishing. Daily it's perishing. So you got two perishing people dying together, it's going to be hell for a while. So God steps in and says, enough's enough. And then you find out who your identity is in. If you're not shaken, then you know you've developed the identity of Christ in you because it hadn't shaken you. It's a blessing to not be shaken by relationships. I feel the power of God. It's a blessing to not be shaken when someone says something to you that's contrary to the way you think. And the Lord just said a person like that is, has got pride. And we all have a little measure of it, don't we? We all need some humbling. And we have to do it together. The best way to humble yourself is to love people unconditionally. That's the best way. Put in love. And it's got to be unconditional love. That is the best way to humble yourself. God doesn't give us what we need for healing until we do. Because he gives grace to what? The humble. Think of yourself not more highly than somebody else. Take the lower position, Jesus said. Take the back seat instead of the front seat. Take the lowly position. And he'll raise you up every time. He'll raise you up every time. So identity crisis is usually found in your trials and when change, change is the kingdom of God. That's the theme line of his power is change. He changes us from glory to glory. If we can ever view the change as a blessing and not a curse, 
you'll find so much joy when you have to confront change. Because the joy is already in you. Because salvation is already in you. So the joy of salvation is already in you. So when you have to confront change, and listen, moving forward, moving forward, change is always good. Moving backward, change is never good. Because what we're doing, we're infusing life in death. So we're actually keeping what's already dead alive. You know those people get on life supports? That's what we do. Because our spirit has salvation. But if we keep looking back and resurrecting in family and relationships, sense of destiny or purpose. This is the result of low self-esteem. That's why I want to take this teaching slow. It's the lack of sense of destiny or purpose. The lack of sense of destiny or purpose. And these symptoms are the result of low self-esteem. And we may not even know that we have it till we look at the definition of it. So what is low self-esteem? Low self-esteem is the concept, opinion, mentality, or degrading perception of oneself. It is seeing ourselves less than the way God sees us. It is a distorted image of who we are and what we have and what we are capable of. See, one thing you have to know, that when you got born again, you became the image of God. All right? The image of God is in you. The likeness of God is not. Because that likeness has to come through the renewing of the mind. Transformation is already in your spirit because it was regenerated. It was transformed. So the mind has to be transformed. So it has to introduce, the spirit has to introduce the transformation into the soul. And then the meditation of the word renews the mind. And renewing means, hey, I'm thinking differently than I did last year. Are you thinking differently since you came into this place? You start thinking differently. And the more you think differently, you become to know who you are and whose you are. Your identity will be in Christ and you will feel him. You will act like him, talk like him. You'll have his character. You'll know how to respond like he does. He doesn't react, he responds. We've all learned how to react. I remember when my dad told me, if somebody hits you, make sure you get the first hit. That's why I get all these scars on my... See, there's somebody. There's my brother's tooth mark right there. Because I thought he was going to hit me. Ronnie. Right there, see it? Just see how powerful a dad can be? Because you think everything he says is truth. I got in a lot of trouble because of that one statement. Well, I should have read the Bible and said, if he slaps you on one cheek, give him the other cheek. Right? That's the humble approach. If he takes away your tunic, give him everything. 
Romans 12, 3 says, For I say through grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And see, that's what we see in the body of Christ now. We see people, saints, and also ministers, elevated in their giftings. And the reason that is, is because they never developed the identity of Christ in them. Because when you have that identity, and you know him, man, you won't care about that gift. It, that gift is making money for a lot of leaders. As I taught on the other night on Saturday night, they're miserable. They almost hate it because it's not satisfying them, only monetarily. When you develop Jesus, the refreshing of Jesus refreshes you after you minister. Don't you all feel refreshed? Like for hours you feel refreshed. Like I could go on like forever with this refreshment. It's the greatest thing to feel. The refreshing of Jesus. Because we developed him enough to release him through my gift. My calling. So you see this in the church. For the most part you see this. That they've the, the gift has edified itself. Having a good self-esteem is equivalent to being a person who is both humble and balanced. What do you think that means? We already know what humble means. You've got to take the humble approach in everything that whatever you have, it wasn't because of you. It was because of him working through you. But what do you think it means, balanced? A person with good self-esteem is humble and balanced. What do you think that means? Right. <clears throat> and we have that in our sonship binder. It's about a balanced soul. Nothing's out of balance in the four functions of the soul. In other words, you're not more emotional than you are affectionate. You're not more affectionate than you are emotional. Everything is balanced. So that's how you know you have a, a good self-esteem. So what is humility? The definition of, of humility is to be fully aware of the essence of who we truly are. And I have to agree with that because the more I got to know Jesus, the more humble I became. Don't you become humble? The more you know him, the more humble you become. And then you start living and walking in grace because of the humility. I still look at what God has done in my life, and it still keeps me humble. Because I, you know, I know where I came from. And I've seen what he has done. Even with you guys, what he's done. It keeps you humble because it's not anything you could do. Other than saying yes to God. And then he does the rest. 
I'm no different from you. We're all sons and daughters of God. God sees us all equally. He wants to give us the, the blessings equally. But the difference between me and most of the church people is I didn't look to man for my revelation. I looked to God for my revelation. And I didn't know I, I could do it that way until he pulled me out of a church and he said, I'm taking a church out of a church. That's my remnant. And the remnant will seek him with all their heart, soul, and mind. That's the remnant. And that's one thing that cannot be out of balance. You can seek him with all your heart and worship. But when it comes time to obey the word, what you worshiped him for just went away. Because when you worship him, he brings blessing. But the, but the word of God comes before the blessing. So if you know what to do to obey God and his word, then he's going to bless you because of the obedience of his word. And then whatever he does for you, you have to put it into action. He loved us enough to bless us because we loved him enough to obey him. And now we give that love to other people. It's hard to love people if you hadn't been blessed. Because it's a reminder of what God has already done for you. That's why it's easy to love people. Because God always gives you something to leverage with him. And that's what he's already done for you. And if you hadn't got past the born again blessing, then you still have something to leverage. Hey, I'm not the same. I'm going to love this person into where I am with God. I'm not the same. So it is to humility is to recognize without exaggeration, without exaggerating or degrading who we are as individuals and who we are in Christ. Thus, humility has nothing to do with demeaning or lowering ourselves in order to show respect for another. Rather, it is about being conscious of our true value as individuals in God. And that's really the mandate on kingdom life ministry. That last little sentence. Who you are. What's your value in God? And we develop that. You'll never be happy till you know what God has mandated you to do for his kingdom. Because everybody has a mandate. One of the gifts of the Spirit may be stronger than the other gifts. That's your mandate. Zinni and, and Brenda get up and speak words of knowledge, prophecy. That's a mandate. Wherever you flow in, Easily, that's your mandate. Whatever God is using you in is going to be easy. But remember, he never releases you until there's a measure of relationship with him. Then he releases you. Like Brenda and Tom and Zinni and some of them have been in here for years. And it's just been the last couple of years that God released them to do what they do up here because they've reached a level 
of a relationship with him. You don't have to be fully mature for him to release you into your mandate. You just have to be fully obedient for him to release you. So the blessing of a kingdom-minded church is everybody ministering and their gifting. Whether it's a fivefold office or whether it's other the gifting, there's seven gifts and there's nine gifts and there's five gifts. We have a whole different teaching on that. So there are two extremes when it comes to the way people view themselves. Two extremes. Low self-esteem is number one. And that's when people consider themselves to be worthless, weak, incapable of carrying out any certain task or project. Worthless, weak, and incapable of carrying out anything. Number two, there's a high self-esteem. It's when people consider themselves to be superior to others. Now, both, all of us are guilty of these because we're born into this from our mother's womb. And only love can conquer low self-esteem and high self. Self-esteem. Only love can conquer that. Both of these extremes lead to destruction. Hence the word teaches that we should think of ourselves with soberness and have an opinion of who we are that matches the one God has said about us. When we do this, we behave accordingly without trying to copy others. How many of y'all... All of us have been there trying to copy others. And I think most of y'all have transitioned into some measure of not copying others. Finding who you are. Amen? Finding who you are and what am I supposed to be doing on this short time that I have on this earth. And believe me, it's short compared to eternity. I'll be 60 this year, and I look at this, and I say, wow. The Bible says, you know, 80 years old? Compared to the last 60 years? That's a short breath. So I am really focused and diligent on finishing the race for Kingdom Life Ministry. And that we have generations already being raised up so this teaching can keep going from one generation to another generation and i'll be looking over the bandstand of heaven watching everybody and partaking of the fruit amen you have to get this mindset that you want to finish your race and we can't finish it being unhealthy you got to be healthy because, I don't know, but I've been in some exorcisms where demons almost wore me out. And once they wear you out, you're no good for God because they will attack you and you have to struggle with it. So I try to stay in fit a little bit because you never know when God's going to say, hey, we need an exorcism here. You never know how that demon's going to react. So we got to be fit. You can't be out of breath. 
Numbers 13, 27, and 30. <laughs> then they told him and said, When we went to the land where you sent us, it truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalek, Am Amaleks, I'm going to say it the best I can, dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Man, they had this place covered. Then Caleb quieted, quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are able to overcome it. What does that tell you? That you had to face it afraid. <laughs> I don't care how big those giants are. God is bigger than those giants. When you step out in faith towards something that you're afraid to conquer, God just magnifies all around you. So the devil sees him and not you. And the closer you get to it, start stepping towards it, don't you feel even more empowered? And then by the time you get to the thing that was a giant, it looked like an ant by the time you got to it. And I love ants. Ants are so wise because they only live six months. But they store food for a lifetime. Way beyond their years. That's wisdom. Solomon said, be like the ant. You got to think of what's ahead. The ant stored for years beyond its time, but only has a six month lifetime. I think that's awesome. He was securing his future. Amen. So do it afraid. Joshua, Joshua and Caleb had a different kind of spirit. Next verse uh, was um, Numbers 14, 24. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him. How many feel like you have a different spirit in you? Don't you feel like you have a... No, I'm talking about a demon spirit. <laughs> I'm talking about something that you didn't have before. That's empowering you. That's giving you wisdom. It's giving you ideas. It's giving you the knowledge that you didn't have before to do something. I see it in the young guys here. Uh, when they put the, their hands to something, you know, it becomes easier for them because God's giving them the learning tools, the ideas, the vision, the wisdom, the understanding of what they're wanting to put their hands to. They put their hands to, and God helps them develop that wanting into a reality. They had a different spirit and has followed me fully. So this is Jesus talking. They followed him fully because he had a different spirit. I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now here's an illustration here. It says, Moses was a man that God gave numerous excuses when he was called to deliver the people of Israel. Now, who remembers the definition of an excuse? 
a well-planned lie. So I tell the people, don't, don't come to me with excuses. And Lee really, really helps me in this with everybody. Come to me with solutions, not excuses. Solutions. We got to be solution-minded. Each excuse revealed his low self-esteem. So that's a good way to judge yourself. If this, if, if this thing is operating in me. Is each excuse revealed his low self-esteem. Let us review a couple of them. The excuse of physical hindrances. Exodus 4.10, And Moses said to the Lord, My Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So here's the excuse of inability. I am nobody. God does not want us to say that. You are somebody in him. You are somebody in him. Low self-esteem leads us to justifying ourselves for not doing what God has already asked us to do. And what does the Bible say about justifying yourself? That if you have to justify yourself, then you're the guilty party. Because if you're in Christ, even though you haven't been developed in him, you're still justified. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Because you take the position of Christ, proving yourself to somebody, justifying yourself to somebody, then pride just took over. Because we've been hurt so much. We've been damaged so much. They will want to protect the hurt and pain that's on the inside through justification when you've already been justified. Some of us have been justified, but we have not been sanctified yet. And how do you know that you're sanctified? What is the fruit of sanctification? You're glorified. Justified, sanctified, and glorified. What does glorified mean? Who can answer that? What does glorified mean? You know what? That's a good answer. What does glorified mean? If you've been justified, sanctified, and glorified. And this comes in measure. Sanctification comes in measure. Justification does not. Justification comes in full measure. Sanctification comes in measure. The difference between the church age and the kingdom age is what? Sanctification. Sanctification is a process of dying. And how are we sanctified? What sanctifies us? His truth. His revealed truth sanctifies you. That's why it's important to stay in the Word of God. Because He's going to give you something that's going to sanctify you. Sanctify means he is totally, that word is going to totally separate you from what God does not want in you, and you're going to be one with him at another level. And I asked the Lord, what does glorification mean? 
And he took me back to John. I think it's John 15. It says, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire, anything, and it will be done for you. By this, the Father is glorified in you. Isn't that beautiful? So when you receive what you're asking for, he's glorified. Why aren't we receiving? Because we're not sanctified enough to receive what we're asking for or we're asking for the wrong thing because he said once you're sanctified, you can ask anything. He's going to give it to you. So if you hadn't received, then you know that there's more sanctification that's got to take place. And that took me 20 years to get a wife. That's how many years it took me to be obedient to God in that area. When I could have had it six months after I was born again. Because she was in the same church. And I said to the Lord, Please don't make me go to Costa Cathedral. Because I was going to Calvary Baptist. But I had to leave there because he was preaching on divorced people. Oh, but God loves you anyway. And the condemnation went all over the place. God hates divorce, but you know, there's some divorced people in here, but God loves you anyway. It was just the wrong spirit. So I bailed out of there after that service. And the Lord said, go to Costa Cathedral. So you can, you know, you can make a pact with God. He wants you to make a pact with him. I said, all right. Show me something supernatural, and my wife has got to be in this church, and I'll go. So I went. He didn't say okay, but I went because I didn't have any place else to go. And there I find Carrie. He was in that church. All my buddies were in that church. Gary didn't look like he does now. He had a big demon hanging off his chin. <laughs> but God did just what I asked him, what I made a pact with him. I needed to see something supernatural. And I did. And Zenny was sitting four seats ahead of me 20 years ago. But I didn't see her. She told me she was on what seat she was on. Because my flesh had blinded me. Every man needs a relationship. Every woman needs a relationship. I didn't want to let go of the one. From the old man. That I brought into the kingdom with me. And it blinded me 20 years. It's amazing what delayed disobedience, how it can affect someone else. It affected her because a devil deceived her to marry her. And she was abused for 14 years, physically and mentally, when she didn't have to be if the head wouldn't have been in the flesh. Whoever you're connected to divinely, 
you're affecting through your disobedience. And we're accountable to that. That puts the fear of God in me. I'm accountable to what I do to you and my disobedience. Because obedience is always going to involve someone else. Always. Always. Praise the Lord. I love it when the Lord teaches. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Exodus 3.11. So the excuse of comparison, anyone else is better than me. Anyone else. I've said that. How many of y'all said that? There's got to be somebody better than me. Anybody could be better than me. That's a sign of low self-esteem. The excuse, let's go to Exodus 4.13. But he said, oh my Lord, please send me by the hand of whomever else you may send. The excuse of unbelief in others. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen. I've said this every time I went to teach or preach somewhere. I said, what if they don't want to listen to what I'm saying? This was years ago when the pastors I was with were pulling me out of the seat and wanting me to teach and minister. That was low self-esteem. It's a form of pride. I don't have anything to say. But Jesus finally said, but I do. And see, that's what I love about this ministry. God graces me to point out people to be processed for ordination so they're comfortable speaking for him before they get released out there. The years I've been here speaking, when I go out, I'm very comfortable getting in front of people. I used to hate getting in front of people. I got paralyzed by fear the first time I got up. I couldn't say anything. And the pastor's looking at me like, when are you going to say something? I prepared a message that would last three days. And he only gave me 30 minutes. And I'm still doing that today. Paralyzed by fear. So the first time you get up, you know, you, you might have an attack of fear. It happened to my, my brother Kerry. Didn't it happen to you one time? And Lee, Lee, thank God for Lee. She bails us all out of stuff. <laughs> she does. But she got up and bailed him out. I was watching on it. I was watching. I was in Florida. Where was I at? I was out of town. I was watching on a live stream. And what did you say after that? You were down. You just felt like you couldn't do it. Yeah. If you get past the first one, you'll make it. It's easy to get up here and represent him because you're just a vessel. When you realize you're just a vessel, here I am. Use me, Lord. So in reading the previous verses, we clearly notice that Moses had a very low self-esteem. Because of this, he most, listen, God, you see where God chose his patriarchs. Most of them were introverts. 
All of them were introverts, really. They were introverts. Why? Because you can't get an extrovert to sit down long enough to tell him anything. And introverts like to be alone. I like my alone time. Amen? Even when I'm married, I still like my alone time. Because that's God drawing you. So he can speak to you and have some time with you. But those are the ones that have low self-esteem. Because you don't want to get in front of people. That's a true test of love for God. When you break past that and say, I'm going to do this for you, not for me. I'm doing it for you, not for me. So Moses had a very low self-esteem, and because of this, he almost aborted the plan of God for his life. The Lord told me several times, when people come through this door, it's their last chance. Doesn't mean you're going, not going to heaven. I'm not saying that. But it's your last chance to be developed, to know your mandate, and start pursuing it. Because he wants to use you to advance his kingdom. And only then the blessings of God's going to flow. It won't be before then. He'll give you a little bit just to keep you going. But the overflow comes when you're doing it for him. Counting the cost, crucifying the flesh, and doing it for him. Sadly, millions around the world have gone to the grave without ever having developed their potential. As a result of low self-esteem, it robbed them for accomplishing God's plan for their life. So when you come to kingdom life, that's what you're going to find out. What's God's plan for my life? I'm going to stop right there. Questions. You know what low self-esteem is now. We can shake that off. When you open up the word, you see yourself. That's really who you are, is that word. So when you know who you are, by looking at the Word, it's much easier to become that. Because God says, this is how I'm supposed to be. This is my character. This is the way I make decisions. I remember Kenneth Copeland. Somebody asked him how he answers conflict with people or even as a marriage. He stopped bringing both together. I open up the word. I've seen Lee do that over and over again. With people. Open up the word. The answer's right there. And it solves every conflict. Any questions? Go ahead. You know the last couple of days I've kind of been dealing with something, so I guess I need clarification whether or not is it low self esteem. Um I work with a lot of different people. We deal with a lot of illnesses and um, emotional problems. And before I attended this ministry, I used to like minister to them all the time and pray for them all the time. 
then from coming to this ministry, I realized I got a lot of problems myself. Yes. Even with the spots. And yes. I heard you say multiple times, I've even been looking at your teachings on the website where you talk about um, the church and how a lot of people have a lot of problems because when you lay in hands, you're transferring spirits. Yeah. So to be honest, I kind of got paralyzed. And now I've ran into a couple of clients that really needed something, and I was scared to give it to them. So yeah. is well, that low self-esteem or? Well, low, low self-esteem is in us, period. And when God begins to shine the light on us, we start feeling all these things. Then low self-esteem is in there. And we don't lay hands on people when everything's coming to light. Because remember, demons are looking for an exit. And they can leave out of your mouth. They can leave from your hand. So when people are in the process, we try to convince them not to minister because you're releasing things in you that you thought you never had. But it's only for a season. If people need prayer, you refer them to someone that's been through the process. Amen. There's a season where you, you just have to step back and get sanctified. Let the word of God sanctify the mind and the soul. So that when you pray for them, it's truly effective. You, we, listen, we cannot bring forth the kingdom of God through an unsanctified soul. Can't do it. You might get part of it. But the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. You might get righteousness to come forth, get somebody saved, but that's not the full kingdom. They need peace in their life. They need joy in their life. So it's just a season. And, and as much time as you can spend with God, it shortens up the season. And you'll know because you don't feel those things anymore. You don't feel fear anymore. You don't feel anger anymore. You don't feel low self-esteem. That's how you know you're ready. Because the devil can use people to send to you for prayer. The devil knows that you are in process. And he knows if he can get you to pray, he can advance his kingdom even more than it's advanced. So the people end up worse. In reference to what Monica was saying a second ago, um, there's, I remember when I first started going through the process, you know, my zeal for God was great and I was wanting to minister and I came out of a church where I was ministering and I remember one time, Lisa, quit ministering. And I went, <laughs> you quit talking to me. Because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't understand it at the time because my zeal was so great for God. But, you know, this, this past week when some of the folks was being ordained, that was really hitting a lot of people, not feeling good enough and not feeling worthy enough. You know, it, it was really hitting. And uh, we had a, had a time with some of them here last week and, and going through that. 
you know, and Saturday morning I was with the Lord and I was, I was just meditating, meditating in that. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, ordination doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. It just means that I see you ready for the beginning. He spoke to me and said that. And I said, oh, that's so awesome. I see you ready for the beginning. You've been through the process now to where you are ready to minister. And we get to the point where we get sanctified. That's what we've been talking about tonight, where we're not running around in anger, where we're not running around in, in perversion and, and all this other stuff. And, but we are a work in progress. You know, I, Chris and I had lunch to, today, and we, we were talking. I said, you know, I said, we set the bar really, really high at Kingdom Life. We're not perfect. That word perfect means to be matured. We will not be perfect until Jesus splits the eastern sky because he says you will be changed in an instant. That's when we become truly perfect. But in the bar being set so high, sometimes even the ministers struggle. I do. I'm going, man, that wasn't a good thought. You got to go back and get rid of the thoughts, but but when we start ministering, we have to be clean, free from all the other stuff. That's how you know. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be free. You got to be free. And, you know, this year we have, if people want to go through the process, the way we do it, of sanctification, then get with Charlena and let us know who you are. And there'll be a time that we'll have you stay in the salt box for 30 days and just getting right with God. You'll have an experience in there. And uh, you'll come out changed. Because when you go there, you really mean business. So that's just you and God for 30 days. You don't see nobody except go to work and come straight back there. There's no distractions. But that's, and, and believe me, I was with you when God rebuked me years ago. And um, I was given, given the devil legal, legal access to make the people worse that I was praying for. A legal right to make them worse. Listen, there was a lot of grace before and ignorance. But there's a lot of revelation now that we know that we should not be laying hands on people if we got junk in us. Because we're just transferring demons. Amen. Any more questions? Um, trying to... This... Going up. Um, so, what, are, what... I don't think it's low self-esteem. It could be. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. But, like, if we... Like with my job, and I'm always talking about my job, you know. <laughs> but um, if you know, you just feel like the pressure of not—I'm not gonna say of not wanting to be there, but not wanting to be there, and feeling like you aren't supposed to be there, like you're supposed to be doing something else. So, like things keep happening. So we have our annual meeting every year, and since I've been there, I would assist planning it. So this year, I was completely like, 
kicked off the team of doing it. So I had no involvement with doing it. And it was actually today. And they started planning for it in December. Um, and this week, and usually we, everyone from the staff attend. And uh, like two days ago, they realized that they hadn't gotten a temp in to cover the office while the annual meeting was going on. It's like, oh, well, you're going to have to stay here and miss the meeting. And I was just like, well, I didn't help plan it. Now I had to miss it and miss the speaker. And it's just like, you know, stuff like that, that I guess to um, make it describe how I told somebody, it just feels like you're back in a, backed into a corner and consistently and constantly overlooked when you already, well, I guess that is low self-esteem. <laughs> you just answered that. I was fixing to say it. See, pride is always behind low self-esteem. And you wouldn't think that. But you have to listen to what she said. She said, I. That's how you know pride is involved. And a false humility. You can have a false humility. But you can't have a false low esteem. So you're in a work in progress like all of us. And you have to know that God is with you. And whatever happens to you, it's in his favor. May not be in your favor, but it's in his favor. Because he's working all things for the good of those who love him. And you love him, right? We know that she loves him. So all things aren't going to be good but he uses the bad for the good. So if I was in your shoes, the way I do things, I thank the Lord for everything. And I rejoice always in him. Because if I'm, if I'm in a conflict or I'm in a situation that's confronting, then you know God is at work. And you've got to get the eyes off of, your eyes off of people. God at work trying to humble us. Yes. Yes. We Listen, we have to have a servant mindset. Like I said earlier, we can be sons and not be servants. And we miss the mark. We got to serve people, whether they're in the kingdom or not in the kingdom. The fruit of that love is going to win somebody over. And you never know, that could have been a promotion if we would have said, I'll be glad to do that. You don't know how far God would have taken that to promote you, either in that place or out of that place. <laughs> because it's until we humble ourselves, that's when he promotes us. Amen. So you'll know next time. If you're hired by someone, What's the Bible say about being hired, working for somebody else, if you don't even like the person? You've got to serve him just like you like him. And when you do that, God promotes you out of that. But the first time we start complaining about the person, we get a delayed response from God. So he keeps us there until we get it right. Amen.
and getting it right is not complaining with the leadership or the way people do business. They're accountable to God, not to you. But we have a responsibility in the kingdom to serve, whether we like them or not, whether we like our husband or wife or not. We still have responsibility to serve them. That's how you win them over. Complaining about them will never win them over. Serving them will blow their mind. And you will open up something that you've been desperately wanting out of that person. God gives it to you because you served them. Reconciliation and servanthood is the kingdom of God. And the biggest struggle is usually in marriages that we see coming in here. One doesn't want to serve the other because the other didn't do this, do that. <laughs> but all of us have been there. All of us have been there, but we've learned through the Holy Spirit and the, and the teaching that if we just humble ourselves and say, like I told Carrie and some of the evangelists, go to the pastors and ask them how we can serve them. This ministry will never be promoted until we serve the pastors and the people. So you can imagine how your marriage can be promoted when you just humble yourself and serve what's wrong. That's how you get God's attention. I'm not going to serve them because they're acting like a fool. You're the fool for not serving them. I learned this in my marriage. I had, to, I had to humble myself, and I had to bow down and serve her. That was hard because I was single for 20 years, and um, I had to bow down. It's amazing how God can heal people when we serve people. Isn't that amazing? I've seen it. These guys here, some of these guys here are just off the chain awesome because of what God has done in them and humbling themselves and walking in unforgiveness and forgetting the past. And God supernaturally blessed them with love in that marriage that I'm sometimes jealous of because I see something so supernatural happen because the head bowed down to the body. The woman's the body. Man's the head. The head bows down to the body. That's when God lifts both of them together. Isn't that beautiful? Listen, if we can't represent God in our marriage, then we have failed in the kingdom of God. We have failed. And for the single, if you can't represent your marriage with Jesus, the people, then you have failed. Because when I was single right before I got married, I, I constantly in my mind, Lord Jesus, what would you do in this situation? And it always kept me in check. There's a healing balm in this place for marriages. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. 
And there's such an anointing for desires of the heart to be met when sanctification is in place. God does not want his people abused by you. And without sanctification, sanctification, we're all going to abuse people. We all do it. God doesn't like it. But what does God do when he doesn't like something that we're doing? He blesses you. That's what he does. This is how you know the difference. The blessing was either sent for obedience or disobedience. You have to judge, what did I just do that was contrary to the word of God? So one is for blessing. I'm proud of you. The other is for repentance. Because it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Man, if we could do that with our children, think about if we just send blessings to them all the time. They would repent for the way they treat you. But oh, we're too proper. Oh, they don't deserve that. I've been there. I said, I'm not blessing my child. She's acting like a fool. She don't want to be around me. But the Lord blesses us to draw us near. The blessing. God will never spoil you until you're sanctified. Because then you won't misuse it or abuse it. You'll do it for his glory, whatever you do. He does spoil us, but he only does it after sanctification because there's no room to defile it when sanctification is complete. That means no more demons are in your head. No more strongholds are operating. Then he starts blessing supernaturally. The manna from heaven is the third level of the glory. There's seven levels of glory. The third level is supernatural manna from heaven. But it doesn't come till the second level is accomplished, and that is reconciliation. And you can't reconcile the people without a transformed, renewed mind. <laughs> because once that happens, when, once you're transformed and renewed, you don't care what people think, and all you want is more of God. You start seeking the blesser instead of the blessing and sanctification. So I want to challenge everybody. Wherever there's relationships, in marriages or family or wherever, that there's a problem. And you're the, you're the adult or you're the head. Start blessing them. And listen, they don't have to know where it's coming from. Because a lot of times they'll say it's manipulation. But if you'll send them something without a name, God will use it to convict them of their wrong. Amen. Any questions? We're at the supper table right now because there's food in the house.
It's kind of similar to what Monica asks. Like, I struggle with low self-esteem. So a lot of times I'm like, is this, I know I'm going to be in process, but it's like, is it low self-esteem or is it, or is it I'm just being processed and got to shut my mouth? Like, I met with um, a minister from the church that I left, and, um, you know, she was kind of, like, telling me something, like, she's had an issue with someone for, like, over 11 years, and I was like, well, have you sat down with that person? And she just made excuses, and then I kind of felt, like, intimidated, because she's been, I know that doesn't mean anything, but she's been in the church for a really long time, so I kind of felt like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm talking, you know? (laughs) So, I don't know, so I just, I didn't say anything, and I left, and I felt like, dang, I don't feel like I, I don't know, I just feel like maybe I should have said more, and I... Well, listen... This, this, always have this on the forefront of your mind, people. You are, regardless of what state of process that you're in, in the kingdom, you are still a minister of reconciliation. Remember I said don't pray for people and release demons. But when you have this mindset that you're a minister of reconciliation, God will use it to reach that person. And in the process, you'll be healed of something you may not even know that you're being healed of. Because you can't do nothing with God. I didn't say for God. You can't do nothing with God and Him not heal something in you if you reached out to someone else for the same thing. And reconciliation is healing. To God, to man to the plan, to the promise. We want the plan, we want the promise, but, and I'm reconciled to God, but I'm not reconciled to all men because one of them made me angry and trespassed me. You got to be reconciled to that person. Even if that person doesn't live around here or isn't around, you can still re- be reconciled to that person when you humble yourselves before God. Say, look, I made a big mistake. I want to be reconciled to this person. It starts with him. Everything starts with him. Worry about if the person wants to be reconciled back to you. Mm-mm. See, I think that's an important thing because in reconciliation, you can do all that, but in then you don't, you hit a point. I just know this. In God's eyes, you right. are reconciled with that person. Right. Even though that person may not be want to be reconciled to you. If she has a mindset of reconciliation, God will give you what to say to that person. See, it's the mindset that God works through. That's what I said. We move from the church mindset to a kingdom mindset, and God's using it. If we take on a mindset for the kingdom, then revelation starts coming like crazy. So when we have this mindset, that advancing the kingdom first is reconciliation. That's what righteousness is. Getting somebody in right standing. And you'd be surprised what will come out of your mouth by just taking on the mindset. Amen. You know how it is when you take on the mindset of healing. What comes out of your mouth to heal somebody. But I want every minister, every kingdom life saint to have this on the forefoot front of their mind. Reconciliation is my first assignment. People go after people to get them healed and, and 
cast out devils and, and all that stuff comes back because reconciliation didn't take place. They're still reconciled to the devil. You can cast the devil out all you want, but he's coming back if reconciliation with God and man is not in place in that area. So keep that on the forefront. And just know that you may not be a bank of revelation, but when you come to that person, have this mindset, God's going to give you the revelation. Say to them. He'll give it to you. That was a good question. All this is about humbling ourselves. That's what it is. Humbling ourselves. What can I do for you? I love Apostle Maldonado. Every time he comes around us, when you go down there, first thing he says, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? He's got it right. How can I serve you? How can I serve you and not serve my flesh? True servanthood is going to be contrary to satisfying the flesh. And the flesh is going to war with you. But you've got to press through that. As soon as you take the first step, man, that thing is dead. Amen. We have, still have ministers that deal with the flesh in here, but at least they're in, in the right direction. They're in the right direction. They're on the right path. Because we aren't perfect if Jesus comes back. But the only way that you're perfect in this realm is when you don't let go of the word. He said a perfect man does not let go of the word. Amen. Y'all ready to go? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for you're so awesome. And Lord, there's so much revelation. And I ask that this, the revelation that was spoken today, that it's doing a work, killing the flesh and raising up what's dead and buried to the life of Christ. And those who have been dealing with low self-esteem, Lord, that they are accepted in the beloved. They are yours. They are your vessels. Vessels of glory, sanctified and useful for the master and prepared for every good work. So use them now as ministers from this day forward, Lord, of reconciliation. To serve their husbands and serve their wives. Because you told me a long time ago, if I lay down my life for my wife, she will live for me. And that's what we all want in a marriage, is a mate to live for you. So we seal this with your love, with your blood, and with your Holy Spirit as the guarantee of their success and mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Giving some praise. Thank you, Lord.